Welcome to uh, Medical Monday on uh, E-Radio with myself, Jan, and uh, ophthalmologist, Dr. Dylan Joseph. Uh, Dr. Joseph, are you well? How's it going? Good morning, Jan. Yes, very well, thanks. Uh, winter's come up too quickly, but... Uh, that's uh, the garden root for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, it's all frozen here on my side. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's like frozen. Yeah. That's it. Mm. But listen, uh, today we uh, are recapping keratoconus, and I'm so mm. proud of myself yes. because I can finally say the word. I remember <laughs> in our previous discussion a year or so ago, I couldn't yeah. say that word. I asked you to yeah. say it. <laughs> Yeah, keratokonus. You did it perfectly today. There's no problem with the pronunciation. Yes, and I can say ophthalmologist as well. I've come a long way. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So so let's quickly uh, recap on keratokonus. What exactly is it? Yes. So keratokonus is a genetic abnormality of the front part of the eye called the cornea. And the cornea is usually shaped like a sphere or a soccer ball, rugby ball shape. Uh, incorporated into it. So we, we actually call it spherocylindrical, sphere and cylinder, so soccer ball and rugby ball. But when this shape becomes an abnormal rugby ball shape, so if you can imagine uh, old um, Blue Bulls, Mornay Stain, getting hold of a rugby ball hmm. and kicking it around a pitch for a while and distorting it, um, that's what keratoconus is. It's an abnormally distorted front part of the eye or the cornea. Now, the cornea needs to be a certain shape so that when the light rays travel through it, all of those light rays, whether they're going through the center of the cornea or the periphery or the outside of the cornea, they fall at one spot on the back of the eye. But in keratoconus, it creates almost a multifocal cornea because those light rays are not traveling through and meeting up at one point at the back of the eye. They're meeting at multiple points at the back of the eye. So it causes Um, significantly reduced quality of image, ghosting, haloing, starbursts. People complain about quality of vision, and and you cannot correct it then well with a contact lens or a spectacle. Now, remember I said this is a genetic entity, so it's inherited from either mom or dad, but it only expresses itself usually in young teenagers or people in their early 20s by rubbing the eyes or abnormal sleeping patterns. So if you sleep on a pillow face down on your left eye or your right eye and you've got the genetic coding and you do that for a third of your life, which is what we sleep, then you are going to change the shape or break down the bonds within the cornea. You do the same with rubbing. So people with allergic or atopic disease, asthma, hay fever, sinusitis, eye rubbers as children, as teenagers, if they've got the genetic propensity for these bonds to be broken down, they just need the stimulus. And that stimulus is in the form of eye rubbing. So it's either knuckle or a finger or the palm of your hand. So it's bony tissue onto soft tissue. Um, And that naturally then causes dissociation of the tissue bonds. So it actually slowly but surely disrupts those tissue bonds until they can't hold themselves up anymore. The architecture or the structure of the cornea can't be held up anymore. And it slowly starts collapsing. So we are seeing more and more of this nowadays, and especially in the Southern Cape, because we, we're seeing a large influx of people uh, down to um, the garden route. And of course, uh, with that comes the younger generation. So uh, people may or may not know that they've got keratoconus, uh, and it's often first diagnosed when they come to an ophthalmologist for a general eye exam saying that I'm not seeing well. That's why we've got to have the diagnostic equipment to be able to pick this up. And if there is progression of the disease, 
to then treat that. Okay, and then there's a new term that we're going to discuss as well today, uh, cross-linking. What is cross-linking? Okay, so first one needs to, as I said in my last sentence, they determine whether there is progression of this disease or not. And if there is progression, it's then about halting the disease progression. It's, it's not about necessarily, um, you know, halting it in a once-off process. We've got to stage it. We've got to see what stage of the disease is this keratoconus, what is the age of the patient, and what is going to be the best approach uh, to, to trying to halt the progression of this disease. So there's a number of other treatment but on, on, on keratoconus. But if you think about the process of the bonds breaking down, of the, of the cornea and keratoconus, cross-linking is a procedure which tries to then stabilize these bonds so that they cannot change the corneal shape anymore, so that they can't be broken down any further. So it's important to also realize, because people think cross-linking is going to cure my keratoconus, it's going to stabilize my cornea and make my vision better. It's not going to do that at all. Cross-linking is simply about stabilizing the bonds that are breaking down. And in certain cases, because of the effects of cross-linking, we can get some flattening of the cornea and actually a small improvement in vision, but it's certainly not a procedure that is done to try and uh, improve the quality of your vision. It's about stabilizing disease. So what is cross-linking? Cross-linking is a method where we expose the cornea to riboflavin solution and, uh, and a combination of that and oxygen and um, ultraviolet light. Now, it undergoes a photochemical reaction um, which causes stiffening of the bonds within the cornea. Uh, interestingly, we undergo a natural cross-linking phenomenon as we get older through life. So each decade that we go through because of our exposure to ultraviolet in the sun, um, we naturally get our corneas cross-linked. So by the time we're 40, 50, 60, we've actually got pretty stiff corneas because of the um, natural ultraviolet that we're exposed to. But as a teenager, as a child, or as a young 20-year-old, those bonds are not stiff enough. And if you've got this genetic disease that is progressive, so it's about making sure that it is progressive first, and we only can do that by looking at consecutive scans, three monthly, four monthly, depending on how um, rapidly we think this may be progressing, uh, then we need to do a, pro a procedure called cross-linking to halt the progression of the disease. And once the disease is halted, we can then look at it and say, okay, what are our options? Oh, this is very interesting. Okay. Now, what are the types of uh, cross-linking, Dr. Joseph? So broadly, there's two types of cross-linking. One is called epithelium on cross-linking and other is called epithelium off cross-linking. Now, the general uh, procedure that's done the most is the epithelium off cross-linking. The epithelium, if you, we go back to our Anatomy 101 days on our first or second episode, it, it's the top 50 thousandths of a millimeter, 50 microns of tissue on the top layer of the cornea. So with epithelium off, that's exactly what it is. We actually manually scrape off or debride that epithelium, soak the cornea in this riboflavin, then expose it to ultraviolet, which stiffens the bonds. It's a very uncomfortable um, process to recover from. It's a, it's a long visual recovery and can be uh, fraught with uh, a lot of difficulties in the healing process. And so one needs to watch these patients very, very carefully. The epithelium on process has been thought uh, for many years not to work as effectively as the epithelium off process. 
but there are very specific techniques that one can apply with epithelium on cross-linking. So we're preserving the epithelium, we're not taking it off. So the recovery process tends to be a lot quicker and far less discomfort. There is literature to say that epithelium on cross-linking doesn't last, that it needs to be repeated or eventually needs to be converted to an epithelium off cross-linking. And there, there, there are cases in which that needs to be done. But by and large, if it's done in a certain fashion, a certain manner, then we can cross-link your cornea by keeping your epithelium intact. So broadly, those are the two groups, epithelium on and epithelium off. And um, where I did my fellowship training, we did epithelium on. It's a, it's a lot more comfortable, uh, as I said, in the recovery process, less discomfort, less pain, uh, and less propensity for infections and inflammatory response afterwards. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it can be repeated. That's the other thing. If we find that there is still progression, we can still repeat epithelium on. We can do an epithelium off. It just depends on um, on what we feel is defined as progression at the follow-up visits. This has been very, very interesting, uh, Dr. Joseph. Thank you so much. Uh, tell us, how do we get in touch with you? No, big pleasure, Jan. Um, uh, thanks for having me again. It's, uh, we're at the Advanced uh, Health Centre in Neisner um, at the Vision for Life Clinic. Our office number is 044-150-0085, where Mariska can uh, answer a couple of your questions. And you're welcome to write us an email as well to info at drdillonjoseph.com. It's drdillonjoseph.com. Uh, we have a, a number of social media pages, including Instagram and Facebook and a uh, YouTube page as well, where we've got a lot of this information and a lot of our podcasts are brought onto that channel, broadcast onto that channel as well. So you're welcome to go and um, take a listen to them there. And um, yeah, and if you've got any questions, please feel free to get in touch with us. Fantastic. Dr. Joseph, thank you so much. Until next week. Big pleasure, Jan. Have a great week. 